the day, even in the midst of darkness, we rejoice. Now, it is difficult for us to think about joy in this season for many reasons. Sometimes it's because we're missing a loved one who has passed on from us. It could also be uh, just difficult memories that come along with Christmas time. For some, it's just the darkness of the season. Um, and you've probably heard about SAD, uh, seasonal uh, adjustment disorder, I think is how, how that's referred to. I feel that a lot of times when it gets so dark, uh, have to get out in some sun or get under a lamp or something to kind of make my feel, myself feel a little bit of joy. Uh, but there are so many reasons. In fact, uh, just since Friday night, as we look at what has happened in our nation, uh, if you've seen some of these pictures of what took place when these tornadoes went through about four or five different states, from Arkansas to Tennessee, Kentucky, Illinois, uh, it just took off. About 30 different tornadoes spawned from this storm. And we know that it's estimated between 80 and 100 people are now dead. There are many others that are uh, assumed to be under the rubble. And, and there was that whole factory in Mayfield, Kentucky, uh, that was completely demolished. And so there are still loved ones unaccounted for who are there in all of that rubble. And so as we think about things like that in our world right now, how do we find a place to rejoice? How is it that we can have joy when there's so much misery? Also, if you noticed in the news, uh, the murder in Shreveport that put us over the record, I think since 1993, this year is now the deadliest uh, year in Shreveport's history. The murder that put us over the top on that took place right behind our building. Also, Friday night, about midnight, I think, um, there was a 27-year-old gunned down, multiple shots, just literally right on the other side of the building over here. How is it in a world with such violence and disaster and disease, can we... Rejoice. I mean, isn't that kind of odd that we would come in here and talk about joy today? Well, I believe that our scriptures this morning really help us with that because these words were written to people who really had no reason at all to rejoice. I mean, they looked around at their captivity. They looked around at the oppression that they had been dealing with, how things had been taken from them. And they wondered, how could I ever rejoice again? How could things ever get back to being how they ought to be? And so these words from Zephaniah, when's the last time you heard from Zephaniah? And these words from John the Baptist, and I love how he calls them, you brood of vipers. Someday I'm just going to say that out loud to some of you and see what you say. You brood of vipers. Every preacher would just long to say that. Of course, y'all are not really a brood of vipers. But these words that come to us from these prophets give us some idea about where we can find joy even in darkness, even when darkness surrounds us, even when disaster comes our way. So the first thing that Zephaniah 
would say to us is, you can rejoice in your disaster because God is in your midst. If you look back here at the words in your bulletin or if you brought a Bible with you, Zephaniah called on Israel to rejoice. In fact, I think the scripture is right here. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. He writes, the king of Israel. The Lord is in your midst. He gets really specific here so that they wouldn't get God confused with some other God or Zephaniah would not confuse them by saying the Lord. He says, no, the, the Lord, the king of Israel, your God is in your midst. Yes, the days were still dark for them. They were in exile. And some of these words in Zephaniah really are focused on people after they get out of exile. We get a sense of both kind of written to those in exile and those that are on their way to seeing recovery. But the days were still dark for them. In the midst of all of that, they could know that God was right there with them. If you remember what happened to Israel being taken away from Jerusalem, the temple destroyed, their homes demolished. Some of them killed and others taken away to live in a foreign land in Babylon with foreign gods and foreign customs and culture. And they were in captivity there. And Zephaniah says, even there, you can know that God is in your midst. In fact, those are the words that we sang earlier when we started the service. Emmanuel, God with us. Even when things are still dark in our lives and our world, we can rejoice in knowing that God is in our midst. We do this by knowing and remembering just who God is. What would be further descriptors for you today. Probably if I said the king of Israel, that probably would not register much with you today. But if there is another way that you think about God, when God comes to help you in your time of need, when God, God wipes away the tears of your sorrow, or God goes with you in a very terrible circumstance, to think about what is it that describes God for you? And where you've been in your past and where you seek to have God go with you in the future. What kind of name would you attribute to God? Well, whatever it is, we need to know and remember just who God is. I would recommend Emmanuel. That's a good one. Take it with you as you go. But also to know that God is at work, even if we can't fully see him. For those today who are looking at where their house once stood, for those who are picking up all of the debris, for those who are looking for uh, possible survivors underneath all of that rubble, they could know that God is at work, even if they can't see it. That God is with those who are buried in the rubble. God was with those who died. God is with the first responders. God is going to be with those who are second responders, providing all the resources and help that those folks need to pick up the pieces and move on. God in their midst. 
God in our midst. But also, as it says here, these are some of the things that God was doing for them, rejoicing over them with gladness. Have you ever thought about that? When you're really in sorrow, when you're, you're going through difficult times in your life and you see nothing but destruction, to know in the midst of that that one thing God is doing in your midst is singing over you. God is rejoicing over you. That's a great thing to know, isn't it? You may not see it, but if you listen closely enough, you'll hear God's presence with you, rejoicing over you. Well, something else that Zephaniah tells us is that because of all of this, because God is with us, we need not fear. So turn to somebody near you this morning. For those of you on this side, you've got to kind of shout it out. But say, fear not. Just go ahead and say it out loud. Fear not. So you hear all that? Those are the words of Zephaniah. Because God was with them. Israel was not to fear their enemies and oppressors. Because God was with them. There was no reason to fear. There was no reason to suffer with anxiety and panic because God was right there in the midst. That God would deal with their enemies. Have you ever had somebody come against you and you think, you can do whatever you want to me, but God's going to get you. Sometimes it's okay to say that to people. I was reading an interview of Denzel Washington recently and somebody was quizzing him, interviewing him about his, I think his father was a Pentecostal minister and uh, he grew up Pentecostal and they were asking, you know, some of the roles that he plays and different things and, and uh, asking him if he's still held to his Christianity, his Pentecostal beliefs. And he just kept saying, don't mess with God. <laughs> don't, don't play with God. And we need to know that, don't we? In our lives, as we have enemies, we have people that come against us and do things to us, as we see violence all around us and injustice all across our land, that we would say, I don't have any reason to fear, but you do if you are going against God and if you are creating injustice in our world and if you are uh, causing violence and killing people in our streets, then you better watch out. Because the arc of history bends to justice, doesn't it? And God is going to take care of our oppression, our disasters, and all that is around us. We need not fear. And uh, Zephaniah says, God will strengthen your hands. I had to look this one up. As I looked in some commentaries, I was trying to think, what, what do you mean? Do they just have feeble hands or small hands or what was going on? And uh, Dr. Margaret O'Dell in uh, her commentary. She says, by combining the exhortation, fear not, with a physiological expression of panic, let not your hands drop, is really the best translation. Zephaniah employs a concrete visual image in order to characterize Zion's new stance. The image of dropped hands is relatively rare in the Old Testament, she says, but it is always an indication of paralyzing fear. So if you're holding your sword and your shield, your weapons, and you're so overwhelmed by your enemies, the other army or whatever, 
you just give up. You drop what is in your hands in a, a, a panic attack of anxiety. And so what Zephaniah is saying is that God will strengthen your hands. It also appears in descriptions of the inescapable day of the Lord. And is it occasionally accompanied by other shameful physiological symptoms of overwhelming terror? The image of dropped hands almost always implies such utter despair that warriors shrink away from the battle. And so what God wants Israel to know is that, yeah, I see you dropping your hands over in Babylon. I see you back in Jerusalem trying to rebuild your city. And I see that you are so overwhelmed. But know this, I am going to strengthen your hands. I'm going to lift your hands up for you and empower you to overcome your enemy and overcome all the obstacles that are in your way. Even when things are still dark in our lives and our world, we can rejoice in knowing we have no reason to fear. Our work for God is important and our hands will be strengthened. When we care for people, when we love people, when we help bring people together, God will be with our hands. With Volunteers of America, one of the things I get to do as chaplain is a blessing of the hands. We haven't been able to do a whole lot of this during the pandemic, but ever so often, uh, Chuck Meehan and I would go and have a service, uh, and sometimes we would go to different locations and meet with staff and have them bring their hands with them. And we would say, hold up your hands, and, and we would put oil on them, and we would pray blessings upon their hands because we knew that the work they were doing with their hands, changing bandages, or helping senior adults get up out of a wheelchair, or whatever tasks came to their hands, that we would bless those hands. And I think of what God does for us in the work that we have to do. And as we know that our enemies and oppressors will be dealt with, you got to take some comfort in that. Victory will be God's. Well, finally, Zephaniah would tell us, well, what is lost will be restored. Yeah, you've lost everything. You've lost the temple. You've lost your homes. You've lost your wealth. You've lost your health. You've lost family members. But God is going to bring all of this back for them. That, that they would have restoration. In fact, if you look throughout Zephaniah, you'll see their judgments would be removed. Their sins would be forgiven. He says, I will remove disaster from them. I will save the lame. I will gather the outcast. I will change shame into praise. I will gather them and bring them home. I will make them renowned and praised throughout all the world. I will restore their fortunes. What a great prophecy. I mean, Zephaniah was kind of lucky, right? I mean, he wasn't necessarily like Jeremiah or some of the others that had some really weird things to do. Zephaniah, he gets to really throw out some good news and he shares this with them. And what we can know today is that even when things are still dark in our lives and in our world, we can rejoice in hearing from God that what we have lost will be restored. This morning, you've already heard some of those words in our confession 
that we did in the beginning of the service. At the end of that, there is that reminder that our sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ. And we're all sinful. We all brought sin into our into our uh, into this place today. We're all sinful people. All of us have fallen. And gone our own way. And yet God provides forgiveness for us. Our fortunes will be restored. Our ailments will be healed. Our lives will be made whole. Maybe you feel like you're very unwhole today. Maybe you feel like your life's in pieces. Or certainly you know what that feels like, don't you? I think we all do. We've all been crushed in different ways and torn asunder in different times of our lives. And we long, we yearn for someone or something to come and bring us back to being whole again. Well, the good news is that God has done that for us. I learned about this Japanese art of restoration. I think I've talked about this before, uh, but it's called Kintsugi. It's the Japanese art of restoration. It is also translated as golden repair. As you can look in this bowl, uh, you can see the veins of gold that are there. This bowl had been broken. And instead of just throwing it all in the trash, someone who knew how to repair it put it back together. And uh, this Japanese art uh, happens by mending the areas of breakage with lacquer dusted or mixed with powdered gold or silver or platinum. Kintsugi is the general concept, according to Wikipedia, of highlighting or emphasizing imperfections, visualizing men's and seams as an additive or an area to celebrate or focus on, rather than absence or missing pieces. Modern artists and designers experiment with the ancient technique as a means of analyzing the idea of loss, synthesis, and improvement through destruction and repair or rebirth. In fact, they say that the bowl even becomes more beautiful and stronger once these pieces are put back together. There are some artists who throw pots and plates down on the ground just so they can do this. Bringing those pieces back together, as we've heard from God's word today, that is what God does for us. It is golden repair. God takes the broken pieces of our lives and restores them in such a beautiful way that we are stronger and we are better. In fact, we are even more valuable because we have been mended and restored by the very hands of God. As we go through the rest of this season of Advent, and as you go into this week, and as you look at the darkness and the violence and the oppression and all the terrible things in our world around us, know this, that you can rejoice because God is in your midst. You have no reason to fear. And God is already restoring your life. Let us go to God in prayer. God, we do give you our thanks and praise this morning. We thank you for sending Jesus into our world to restore us. 
As we get closer to Christmas, may we be fully prepared to celebrate his full advent into our world.